Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God in our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Good morning, church. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, so not too far away from here, and so it is wonderful being back home for a little bit. Um, Can we say a word of prayer before we start? Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this opportunity to press pause in our week and to come together, gather in community, and just rest. Um, I ask that you allow us to open up our hearts and our minds uh, for today's message and be with all and um, just thank you so much. You know, I pray, amen. Did you ever hear the words, you do not know what love is? The person saying this was assuming this from your age, experience, time, or an alike separating factor. If you were the one saying, if you have, you were either the one saying it or you were the small person hearing it yourself. I remember hearing that phrase a lot in my high school years. My friends would come to school and complain about how their parents just didn't get it. Michelle's mom didn't understand how a breakup with 15-year-old Tommy could be a good enough excuse to stay home for three days. (laughs) Or how a breakup with Jake three months later could be a good enough excuse to stay in in the middle of July while the rest of the family was at the beach. Does this sound familiar? I also remember thinking, um, I was about 11 or 12, um, why can't a young person like me understand love? Aren't we all exposed to this concept of love from an early age? My parents told me they loved me every night before they kissed me. Good night. My teachers in grade school told us all they loved us. And we definitely loved a number of things from the time we were born, like our parents, our friends, chocolate chip cookies, and Jesus. Then then why couldn't our young minds understand love? Or what they were really talking about was that grown-up love. This This almost always takes me back to my interactions with my kids when I was working as their high school and junior high pastor. They would share their, their seemingly small heartbreaks, realities, and it was at that moment that I would remember the huge problem I had when I was the one hearing, you do not know what love is. And so I was not going to be the one to cause frustration and confusion and anger, and so I promised myself that I would never tell them that same phrase. The truth is is that it did take years, unfortunate life circumstances, and a huge adult heartbreak I experienced to understand what the grown-ups meant when they said love. But what I also understand and again have to admit is that my kids, young, naive, unexperienced, and fragile as they were, still experienced glimpses and pieces of what grown-ups talk about when they say love. Their hearts really do break and ache And they really do experience severe pain when love is not present or when love is violated. What does this text have to do with love? Well, can we read it again? 
Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've ha we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and that hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. What does this verse have to do with love? At first, it seems not much. But just as assumed that time and age will lead us to learn what this grown-up love is all about, it seems to me that the text is saying the same about hope. The writer of this letter seems to be making a similar claim. One can only understand hope in the presence of suffering. And that is a huge problem to me as a later reader. Why do we as people have to experience suffering before we can understand hope? This sounds almost as depressing as, though, as those antidepressant commercials. They first announced how Ambilify has proved to show symptom improvement as early as three weeks. And now that poor girl in the commercial can finally get out of bed and open a window. And almost immediately after she's gone back to doing her everyday work, a male voice is heard listing the endless number of side effects that medication can have and that almost always includes death. Is the writer of this letter doing the same here? Is this a true reality? Does this explain why a pastor usually says that the time after baptism is always harder or the hardest? Is them being a part of the community of Christ include the suffering? Is it a definite post requirement? Come and join our heaven-like community. Invite God into your heart. Live as though you know him. Believe our doctrines and experience suffering. Yup, the last one is the only one you cannot get out of. That sounds sick. It may lead some to question God's goodness and true intentions. Does he create or allow suffering so we can experience hope and grace? Here in the text, it definitely seems like the two must go hand in hand to be truly understood. Let me tell you Sarah's story. When she was seven years old, she was first molested by her grandfather. She endured that nightmare until her family moved away four years later. They moved away to be closer to the other side of the family. And on the other side, she was left in the care of an uncle who restarted that same nightmare. Years down the road, her life went down the same cold path, and again by boyfriends who beat her, lost jobs, severe depression, abortion, and then finally having children of her own, which she, which she beat and abused because of the pain and guilt of which they were conceived. Sarah never found hope. Her day of rest and suffering was her deathbed. Friedrich Nietzsche, a German philosopher of the mid-1800s, says, in reality, hope is the worst of all evils because it prolongs man's torment. My natural inclination after great awareness of the pain and suffering that surrounds our world is to side with Nietzsche, to side with him on behalf of Sarah who never got well. Maybe at one point in her life she did have hope, but that hope died when her body laid to rest. I agree with Nietzsche on behalf of the slave people who tried and waited to escape only to get caught and sent back time after time, enduring greater punishment. I want to agree with Nietzsche when I meet a family who desperately hopes for the healing and the righteous hand of God to work in the life of their mother's illness, that she dies. 
As I take part of the physical darkness that hovers over our world today, I'm almost often led to also believe hope is a wicked arm we hold on to. Of hope, Cheryl Laurie of the United Church in Australia says this, hope, an encounter that captivates our imagination so we can't help but become more than who we thought we were and find ourselves living for something that is all at once preposterous and impossible. Hope becomes a figment of our imagination, a broken dream, an empty promise, a sick and wonderful fantasy. Going back to our text, I believe the author of this letter missed something. What happens when his equation fails to equal hope? When suffering plus endurance plus character does not produce hope but despair? Why didn't he consider that? That played out in the realities of the people mentioned above. They might agree that hope is not always warranted in suffering. There are times when you fall, you hit the ground, and all that is in front of you is dark gravel and no light. Paul says that we are justified by faith through grace, by grace through faith. This is his central theme in the letter to the Romans, a people he has never met, a people he longs to visit, a letter to console them in their time of confusion and problem, in their time as people. In this text, he urges them to glory in tribulation, a concept that Jews living in Rome either have trouble understanding or have flat out never heard. The Jews objected to the persecuted state of the Christians as inconsistent with the people of the Messiah. It is therefore with great propriety that the apostle so often mentions the blessing arising from this very thing, suffering. The key ingredient here is patience, and patience Patience works more experience of the sincerity of our grace and of God's power and faithfulness. I'm reminded here of the U2 lyrics. It is not a hill, it's a mountain. As you start out the climb, listen for me. I'll be shouting to the darkness. Squeeze out sparks of light. When we as people of the Messiah fail to see hope come to full fruition, I think we need to keep kicking and shouting to the darkness. Suffering does not always produce endurance if we choose not to focus our suffering to that. Could our greater problem in light of suffering be our focus? Could it be that hope is always an option, an option we as undergoers of the suffering fail to exhaust? A pastor working through this same text asked a group of people to email in pictures of hope. She was amazed at the edge of some of her pictures. She received one of sunlight creeping in through the window. Another was of a flower go growing through the concrete. And the one that caught my attention was the one of a sink in a soup kitchen. The financial, psychological, physical hardships of the people served at the soup kitchen may never be resolved. But the kitchen sink full of dirty dishes and pans after feeding the hungry is a spark of light a glimpse of the bleeding daylight. One might miss it if we focus on the despair of the situation. God gives us with the ability to see hope and to rejoice in that hope. So although it is true that we may never see what we hope for in the course of our earthly lives, a cure for cancer, world peace, end to hunger and end to AIDS, a world that is just and good, we see those sparks of light that remind us that God is still working on it. He is still working on the overall picture. As my dad used to remind me during the car ride home after a bad day at school, Tanya, the only person who ultimately determines the outcome of your emotional state is you, because smiling after a bad day is always an option. I also want to say to you that suffering and pain will come. 
This is when we hear that all too familiar verse. In this world, you will have many troubles, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Taking heart here can look like refocusing our attention away from our suffering and placing it on our ability to hope. The greatest part of the good news in this chapter, I believe, is found in the remaining part of the letter. For the good news is that regardless of our pain and suffering, our weakness, as the letter will refer it to, Christ died for us, Christ lives in us, and Christ is with us. In this world, we will have many trouble, but let us take heart, for God has already overcome the world. Our call as his people is not to understand this suffering, but to endure it, to rejoice in his gift, to make hope a discipline, to truly believe as the psalmist did when he wrote, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The psalmist did, the, the psalmist believed, the psalmist did what the text calls us to do, and that is to boast in the presence of God in the midst of our suffering. My kids did not understand what grown up, my kids did not then understand what grown up love is, but they did understand glimpses and pieces of that love or absence of. We might not completely understand and see through the darkness, but we are called to be a people who rejoices regardless, who shifts the focus to hope. We do not need to experience great suffering to experience hope, but rejoice when we do because we learn to value this hope all the more. Amen. Amen.